Tēnā koutou katoa, no mai haere mai ki te Indigenous Urbanism, Aotearoa edition, episode 10. I'm your host Jay Kake and this is Indigenous Urbanism, stories about the spaces we inhabit and the community drivers and practitioners who are shaping those environments and decolonizing through design. On this episode of Indigenous Urbanism, we speak with Hayley Hooper, nō Ngāti Ho an urban designer living in Tamaki Makoto, who explains just what an urban designer is and how we navigate our role as Matawaka practitioners. Kia Haley. thank you for meeting me and thanks for being on the podcast. The first thing I'd like to ask is ko koe, no koe. who are you and where are you from? Kia ora Jade, thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here and to be able to um, speak with you. Ko huruiki te maunga, ko whakapara te awa, ngāpui te iwi, Ko Ngāti Hau Te Hapu, ko Whakapara Te Marae, ko Rei Rawa ko Shri Okumatua e ko Hayley Toku Ingwa. Nō Whangarei Ahau, ingari nō Tamaki Makoto Ahau e Nayane. So my name is Hayley Hooper, from up north, I'm from Whangarei originally. My mum's from Whangarei and my dad's from Kaitaia, but I moved to Auckland when I was 14 and lived in Takapuna and then followed on, went to university in Auckland and here I still am in Tamaki today. <laughs> We've met here um, at the top of Maungafo, Mount Eden and Tamaki. I just want to ask you, why did you choose this place? So I guess for me, when, when you asked me to be interviewed, I was trying to think of where would be a place that kind of does the kōrero justice and a place where I really like to be and I think I always enjoy to be in outdoor environments. Um, and then on the top of a maunga, looking out across Tamaki seemed like a pretty inspirational place and I was hoping that my thoughts might flow a little bit better up here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, kia ora to that. Now Hayley, you're an urban designer, but you're trained in and have uh, started out your career in architecture, yes. uh, which makes sense because traditionally architects as well as planners and landscape architects took on that role of urban design. Yes. before it emerges as a distinct discipline. So um, for those who don't know what urban de- design is and what an urban designer does, could you explain that and how that has become its own thing? So yeah, I, th- I guess urban design is a fairly recent profession to have emerged. I would say kind of from around the 1950s, but much more predominantly in the last 20 to 30 years. Jane Jacobs is probably the, the one of the founders of that um, the profession in a sense I, I think um, and yeah it is a shift from architecture landscape and planning so urban design is kind of like the crossroads of those three things coming together. People often speak about it being of the design of the spaces in between um, so the spaces in between buildings or the stuff that knits cities together so if you think about that from a traditional think about like traditional European cities it's much more evident what the urban design part is because the space is so much stronger, like the spatial dominance of what's actually in between the buildings. And you really feel and recognise what those spaces are as, and the space is a thing and the buildings are a frame. Whereas I think sometimes in New Zealand you often find that the buildings are the object and the space in between is secondary and it's something you can't even almost read so it lacks a form and it kind of leaks everywhere. So just going back to the original question, urban design I think is most commonly known as the design of cities and it's the integration of the public realm, infrastructure, social and transport and servicing infrastructures. The negotiation of politics and planning is joyous as that sometimes is or isn't and development controls um, and it's generally looking at design from that broader scale 
yeah, involving a number of buildings or spaces as opposed to one thing about the collection of parts. And we, it can also be things like looking at economics, feasibility and evaluations, identifying opportunities for growth in the city or growth management and looking at targeted areas where future urban development might happen. Plus it's definitely about culture and it's absolutely about heritage, resilience and, and things like accessibility as well. So I think it's a very difficult profession to define succinctly. And because it sounds like it's everything? <laughs> it's a little bit of everything, yeah, and it's probably why I like it. <laughs> and so what, what did lead you um, to move on from purely architectural work to more urban design, Mahi? So I think originally when I was studying at university I w was always interested in things from an urban scale and I kind of followed lecturers like John Hewitt who were urban designers just naturally because I think of the the social motivation and the fact that you are doing things that change the common change the common good or interested are in, in the broader picture or the vision, the strategy for the design as opposed to the architectural side which can sometimes be about the object, not always is, but um, so I guess started at university and then I went off and worked in a number of different areas of architecture which was interesting from a design point of view, but I kept struggling with the fact that I wasn't con I wasn't able to contribute to things that are concerning for me, really concerning the city and community and the bigger, broader scale ideas. So, so architecture felt quite limited, and it perhaps didn't go far enough to achieve some of these kind of broader social aims that we might hope that our work. Yes, and like I think the thing the thing is architecture all of the disciplines has its place but I was just interested in the bigger ideas part of um, design and that seemed to be urban design so the job a job came up at Jazzmax and I was like oh cool I'll give that a shot and that's where it kind of started from there under Al Ray. And um, I guess how, how have you found it as you've continued on that journey obviously you had an interest and you thought urban design might be the way to kind of achieve some of these things that I'll give that a crack. How do you feel now um, you know a few years later? Big question. <laughs> loaded question. Very loaded question. <laughs> I think um, my first thing I would say I still feel really good about the decision that I made to take that path for me um, because I think it has enabled me to be involved with projects at a broader scale and across architecture, landscape, planning, economics and those types of things that I'm interested in. I think I probably didn't really understand what urban design was and what the environment, the development environment is like in Auckland all the time. I think that's sometimes has been probably challenging or revealing like any growth in education is. But I still see it as a very aspirational discipline and I think the relationship of urban design to architecture is something that is a continuum and I still see those two things not as one or the other even though I've selected to be an this urban This part design. of the continuum, it's not one or the other, it's yeah, like you said a continuum yeah. and you're just kind of sitting here rather than maybe over here where you would have been before. Yes, yeah. And, and I think that shifts too, you know, like you start in architecture and you mo I've moved into urban design and who knows where I'll end up. I asked Hayley about the role and relevance of the Treaty of Waitangi within the built environment professions. So yeah, I think there's a really strong place in design now for recognising the tino rangatiratanga of place or of tangata whenua. Um, and I think that to me it, just, it means that the environment is then considered from a holistic point of view and it's considered as a taonga and as soon as you make that transition and you're thinking of the environment as a taonga you take a duty of care around it that's much different to looking at it as a product or an object for development sole purposes and that is a fundamental 
thing that I think um, the treaty offers New Zealand and that partnership offers New Zealand going forward and when you look at resource management, urban design, architecture and development, if we have that kind of embrace from Māori and, and, and Pākehā to come on board with it, that's a, it's a really beautiful thing because it means that you you take on the idea of being kaitiaki. You take on the idea and the responsibility of being kaitiaki and you're stopping to take the time to understand the land and the importance of the land and everything that that offers first before you start to look at how you may intervene into that space. And that's like phenomenally important. The, the treaty offers New Zealand or Aotearoa an opportunity to acknowledge and uphold a relationship between two people but it also has an opportunity for us as designers to really create um, an incredible country which we already have but in an urban way. I really like that Bacaro. I'm glad you <laughs> took it there. <laughs> Part of the thing that I find really interesting is the conversation or the corridor around New Zealand being a bicultural place but co-governance and co-management mm. and how those types of ideologies are evolving. I just I know that they're, they're still developing and there's a lot of like teething problems in those areas but I am really inspired by the fact that we are going down that path, mm. that we have started on that path, we started on it a long long time ago but <laughs> that we in this modern contemporary context are discussing things like co-governance and co-management because we should be 100% doing that. And the, the amount of, um, I guess, activities and relationships that are treaty based that in the not so distant past would have been dismissed yes. immediately are actually being seriously engaged. Yeah. Which is, I, I mean, I, I'm speaking from our relative youth, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we can't, I can't say we've been there through all of that, but I think having enough historical context to understand how much things have changed, particularly since the 1970s. Yeah, and that's because of, of all the mahi that's gone in in those years, you know, like there's been so much work by those generations before us in order to get to the place where we can now have the conversations that we as rangatahi are enabled to have. As Māori we've been kind of traditionally categorised as rural, mm. but increasingly our population is urban and I guess I'm just wondering what does that mean for our relationships to people and place and what does that mean for us as practitioners in the built environment, especially when the majority of us are not going to be mana whenua in the area where we're residing? Yeah, that, that was a really interesting question, Jade. I, I think it's an amazing question, and um, you could spend a lot of time considering that. I actually talked to Rebecca Kittle when we are down at the Urbanism New Zealand thing, and she was like, yeah, you could do a PhD on that. I think you probably could. <laughs> and I think it's really, it's really tricky. It crosses into a number of different things, like displacement is one kind of conversation around that and the effects of displacement of people from rural areas when they move to urban areas and definitions of indigenous cultures as being rural as being something else. On that note like in terms of the definition of if Māori are rural people or urban people I think we'll always pass the definition anyway so people can say yeah you're rural or you're urban or whatever we are kind of going to be everything. Well, some of us will be rural and some of us will be urban sometimes and you mix between those things. And It's not so, I don't think it's so relevant to where we're heading the definition of whether we're rural or urban. But I think there is distinction between what happens in a rural context and what happens in an urban context from a Māori point of view and the types of life, lives that you live based on the decision that you make to either be urban or rural. Or it's like 
a lot of the time it's hokainga yeah, or mataawaka, you know, whether you're choosing to live at home and support what's happening at home. And maybe that's a more appropriate definition, that, uh, d sort of distinction that's relevant to us. And at yeah. the moment that happens to, by default, more often fall into the rural urban camp, but it doesn't actually need to be that. Yes. Yeah, and I think, like, on a personal level too, I, I always question, what am I doing in the city sometimes, or a lot of the time? <laughs> and like we've talked about before, I have a lot of admiration for you going back home and being back up north in Whangarei and the relationships that you've built with people there because you're able to take the skills that you've learnt in an urban context and then use those, you know, for the betterment of our own people, which is really kind of the ideal. But I think aside from that too, I also question the things that you miss from being in the city, the direct relationships that you have with whenua and, and whānau and, and actually sometimes being in the city is a compromise and sometimes it's an opportunity. So I think that there is, on, on the city side, being urban and being Māori and being in an urban environment, there's obviously the intensity that comes with being in, in a city and that's a really exciting part of it because you have, like all people do when you're in a city, so many things coming at you from so many different directions and, and that's a wonderful thing because it's all about exchange and like high levels of exchange with people from all over the world and different ideas from many different places and influences from everywhere. But then I think like when I compare that to being in a rural context or being back home, you can have intensity and exchange in a rural way. It's just a completely different intensity. It's more about like intensity of environment and being in, a, in like a beautiful place or like connecting with your awa or your maunga and that equally has the same intensity. So I think we have roles in both places and it's just when you're, when you're Matawaka living in Auckland, for example, it's important obviously to keep going back home all the time. But understanding how you work in this space professionally is a really difficult question because ultimately you want to recognise mana whenua as, and everything that you do is mana whenua is the people who have the mana over the land. Um, yeah, I guess I see our role as Matawaka as more like a vehicle. So. I think that we can help to tell the messages of mana whenua, to help to support, using our professional skills, the communication between mana whenua and some of the design. So maybe like a conduit. Yeah, like a conduit. And opening a door in some places where if we have access to those spaces in our professional capacity, yeah. opening the door to mana whenua if they had not already been invited into that conversation, we're not already involved. Exactly, it's like you're not the direct resource, it's them first, how can you enable that process. Which is challenging because you don't want to be um, treated as a proxy and I think there can be that tendency to kind of go oh okay well you're a Māori you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's that's something that's really I think concerning for young practitioners who, may, who are less experienced is how do you push back on that and, and maintain kind of cultural safety if you're getting pushed in yeah, those kind of directions. Huge. I, I like again from my own point of view because I am still so much at the beginning point of learning about Kaupapa Māori as well and the urban design and everything. I, yeah, I'm very aware of that, of not wanting to not wanting to speak where I don't have the knowledge to speak. Mm. There's plenty of time to become the knowledge holder. It's a long apprenticeship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no way. <laughs> yeah, I, I think another thing that I find interesting is when I think about the Māori Ropu in Auckland, people like me and you, for example, I had this idea of, of new identities and old whakapapa, and it's like, I didn't know you before we met in the Ngāho, the hui that we had about arts and culture, strategic action plan or whatever. 
yet our whānau have been meeting for years and years and years, you know? So it's kind we're of very like, closely connected. We're super closely connected <laughs> and I think that's a really interesting thing too. We're both Matawaka in Auckland, we're both from up north, we're both from Whangarei, we're both Ngāti Hau, and we meet here in these urban contexts in a Māori rōpū here and we develop new identities but it's based on old it's based on old whakapapa and that's real special and I, I really admire also the way that the Māori design community and our young Māori design community in Ngāho comes together and we're all operating in slightly different spaces you know when you need to ring somebody up or if you need help with something that we can always ring each other and support I, each other. I wouldn't have stayed in the discipline if I hadn't um, connected with Ngāho. Yeah. I almost quit so many times. Yeah. Because I just found it so hard to... I couldn't see my values and approach to practice that I felt quite strongly even though I was so inexperienced. Mm. I couldn't see those reflected in mm. practice. I couldn't see where I could go or and I couldn't see people who were further progressed in their careers working in the way I wanted to work. Mm. And it was it was connecting with Ro and then the rest of Ngāho that I realised there was a space for me in this profession mm. and that it was somewhere I could achieve those aims that I had wanted to from the beginning when I first chose architecture, mm. but was beginning to feel that I may never be able to realise. Absolutely, like it is hard to find that space if you know that's what you're looking for. <laughs> and I think it's like what we were talking about just earlier, Ro is somebody who's created a lot of space in design for us to be able to be. And I know like too when I was at Jazzmax with Ramika, Brendan and Alyssa Peter, through having them beside me, we, we can do these things together and that you can create something with a rōpū that you can never do when it's just you by yourself in it. Finding those people or those groups that where your values align gives you heaps of drive. It's amazing how much diversity of thought there is about what architecture is for. Mm. what built environment professionals should do, what their role is mm. and I think that can be challenging at times. We're always trying to conform to so many things at once like you have your heart desires of what you really want to do and then you have the things that you have to do and then there's a whole lot of stuff that just happens mm. as well and the more you can get onto the side where you're working with people that you love being around that believe in things that are similar to what you believe in then I think the more passionate and the more inspired you are just to get up in the day and just get out there and like own it. <laughs> you know, like, and that's where you really want to be. You want to be in a place where you're happy and, yeah, you're not going to be happy all the time, but like you want to be in an, working in an environment where you can make the best difference using the best skills that you have and be around awesome people. I mean, it does get better than that. So the co-papa for podcast is Indigenous Urbanism. And through this series, I've tried to think about that quite broadly. Mm -hmm. um, so anywhere where we have settlements or we're having a relationship with our physical environment mm -hmm. and shaping that physical environment. And I guess I just wanted to ask you, uh, this is quite an open question, but do you have any final thoughts on the theme? Yes, definitely. Like I think there's, there's so much for everyone to gain when we, we understand how much environmental stress the world is under. And then when you think about indigenous cultures and their approach to environment it's just there's so much to be learned or relearned from the things that we've lost and now is the time if ever it was if there ever was a time is definitely now like we should never have come this far away from things as we are at the moment and I think yeah indigenous urbanism in a sense I, th I guess is a new thing with the idea of indigenous urbanism but the ideas are based on years and years of experience and knowledge and understanding 
of how things can be done. And I think it's just taking the time to learn and have those conversations with Indigenous people and in that the urbanism that's created from it is always going to be valuable because it's considering things across the board. It's just taking into account the values that need to be recognised in order to do things appropriately, <laughs> purposefully and respectfully. I feel like this is a bit utopian in my thinking, but all my thinking is a bit utopian, so I'll just go with it. <laughs> Why not? Um, you know, cities, all the things we like about cities, they're inspiring places, there's all this connectivity and opportunity for collaboration, and really cool stuff can happen mm. when people mm. kind of jumble and collide in, mm. in, in, in this kind of dense environment. But there's also lots of negative things, the, the environmental impacts are often very unhealthy places, there's all sorts of pollution, there's mm. all sorts of stress from things like traffic and congestion, housing's wildly unaffordable, all of these things that we know. And mm. I just really think that cities don't have to be dire places, they can re be really wonderful, inspiring, amazing places. And mm. I think by um, bringing that more holistic perspective which involves our, really respects those relationships between people and between people and the whenua, provides the potential to transform our cities or create new cities that are going to be really amazing places. Mm. I don't think we can just take for granted that cities are going to be these kind of messy, expensive, stressful places to be in. <laughs> no, because then we won't want to keep living there, no. right? we'll live horrible lives if they are. <laughs> But on that note, like I think um, one of the things that I just was just thinking about then, but I have thought about a lot in the past too, is places like Whangarei. Obviously, I'm biased, but to me, a place like Whangarei is a mid-sized city that has so much potential for those types of things that you're talking about. It's not under that pressure yet, or it's definitely not under that pressure yet at all, but I think in those types of cities, in our regional areas in New Zealand, in places like Whangarei, we have um, huge opportunity to be able to develop an urbanism that is quite different. In, in Auckland there are obviously still a lot of opportunities as well, but it, it's much more complicated because of, like you say, the way that the city is, is already set in, in lots of different areas. Naturally there's so many opportunities yet that are still unrealised but I think for me in a, in a place the size of Whangarei I think you could develop a model of urbanism that has a scale and a humanity and a connection to environment and, and culture and place um, that would really resonate with a lot of the ideals that I have. So hopefully we can do that in the future Jade. <laughs> yeah Whangarei will be the place to live, you heard it here first. <laughs> Okay. That is the place to live though. <laughs> and ultimately when we think about Northland and where Northland's going in the future, there's going to be a huge demand for the kinds of skills that I think architecture and urban design... Well, that we have and that we are developing. Yeah. Well, the Ngāpui up there, come down to the architecture schools in, in Auckland and Victoria because we're going to need you. Indigenous Urbanism is a production of Tamatapihi. Sandy Wakefield does our sound recording, editing and mixing. Our theme was composed by Thomas Burton. I'm Jade Kake, your host and executive producer. For more information about today's show and other episodes of Indigenous Urbanism, go to indigenousurbanism.net. You can drop us a line at info at indigenousurbanism.net. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a review or rating on iTunes. Coming up next on Indigenous Urbanism, we visit the Rangabedwa Fano of Waikato Tainui who have bought back their ancestral land in Ngaroa Wahia and have worked together as a whanau to re-establish Papakainga. They eat at my house, sleep at Trevor's house 
party at Tanya's house. <laughs> and here's and the, the lifeguard here, yeah, the babysitters over here. We've got the best of all worlds. We have. Mm. Yeah. So for me, I'm, this is the dream. This is the moimoya. But this is also the tukuiho.